This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute professional medical advice. The information presented on this podcast are my own personal views, opinions, and summaries of research. Always consult your physician regarding any medical concerns, conditions, or treatments. Welcome to episode number seven of It's Not You, It's Me, a podcast dedicated to PMDD. I have been loving seeing all the posts on social media in celebration of PMDD awareness this month and all the personal stories that everyone is sharing. It's really eye-opening to see how many people are affected and all the similar experiences, too, that everyone is having. And though PMDD isn't fun, it feels great to be such a part of a you know, great supportive community of women. Everyone's reaching out to each other and uplifting one another, and it's really great to see and makes me feel really good, too. Uh, So in this episode, we're going to revisit part of the PMDD Phenomenon book and talk a bit about the short book called We Need to Talk About PMDD by Sarah McGinnis. I wanted to go back to this PMDD game plan from the PMDD Phenomenon. I felt this was something worth reviewing on its own, and it even has its own chapter in the book. So I wanted to spend a little more time to it. It was something that called to me to go back and really take it step by step to share. And there are 10 steps in their plan, and we're going to touch on each. So settle in with your headphones and your tea or coffee, and let's begin. So the first step is something we've talked about before. It's tracking your symptoms or keeping a symptom diary. And this is important to get accurate diagnosis, not only just for PMDD, but to be able to distinguish against PMDD versus PME, PMS, or some other underlying disorder. And it's important to note in this tracking where your symptoms occur and also where they disappear or start to alleviate in your cycle. Is it the day you get your period? Is it the day after, a day or two? And you're also able to see which symptoms are the most problematic by charting these. Maybe it turns out you have more problems with insomnia than anxiety. And that'll kind of help pinpoint maybe which are more problematic, which ones are are the ones that are giving you the most problems. And it's important to keep tracking your symptoms even after you start treatment. It'll help determine how effective or not effective a treatment is. And it might also help to pinpoint when treatment should be administered. Like, is it something you would need to take all month based on your symptoms? Or maybe just during your late luteal phase? And then a tip they offer is you want to record your symptoms at the same time every day. And this helps to also get you in a routine of recording. You can set a calendar reminder If it's a paper or notebook, maybe set it in a place where you will see it and it'll help remind you, maybe like in the bathroom, your nightstand, somewhere that will be visible and kind of jump out at you. But don't feel obligated or pressured to mark symptoms every day because there are days that you don't have symptoms. But do have a system in place to note that you did take a moment to acknowledge that you have no symptoms. So that way when you look at your tracker and you see a blank um, like a blank column row, however you have it, of your symptoms, you don't think, oh, I just forgot to record. It's like, have something to note that you did record that you actually had no symptoms. And it's important to mark how intense the symptoms feel to you. Don't rate them as how intense you think they may feel to someone else. This is about how they feel to you. And I mentioned before that there are a few different types of trackers out there. You can find the Me versus PMDD tracker app, You can download a printable tracker on iapmd.org, or you can buy the the PMDD phenomenon and use the tracker they provide at the back of the book. 
And if you don't like any of these or none of these work for you, use them as a base and create your own. Step two is to schedule a doctor's appointment. And I feel like this step might be the most challenging because of the different experiences that women have had in trying to discuss PMDD with their providers. It may be their unfamiliarity with it, reluctance to diagnose or discuss, not believing the patient, who knows? There could be multiple reasons. Um, but for our reference here, the term doctor is referring to an OBGYN or your primary care physician or psychiatrist. And challenges aside from what we're facing in talking to a medical provider, let's talk about planning for the appointment anyway. If you're suspecting that you have PMDD and want confirmation, it's best not to make the appointment until you have recorded at least two to three months or menstrual cycles worth of symptoms. And you'll want to take your symptom diary, diary along with you to your appointment to share it and review it with your doctor. And this will be key in helping to make the right diagnosis because of how cyclic um, PMDD can be. And I understand that not everyone likes going to the doctor. I mean, like, who really likes going to the doctor? But even though it's not a fun thing, it's important to your health and well-being. Like I tell my boyfriend when I'm going to the gynecologist, like, I don't like some strange woman poking around down there. But, hey, I've got to get things checked. i got to make sure my health is all right. It's just something you've got to do. And just because you visit with your doctor about your PMDD doesn't mean that you have to follow any treatment that you don't want to. Patient rights are there because they give you the right to make decisions about your care, and that includes accepting or refusing treatment. But doctors can help advise you on what treatments might work best for you and for your symptoms and medical history. And they can also give you information and advice regarding supplements if you prefer to go that route. And establishing and making your doctor aware of your symptoms also gives you a place to go for medical help. Your doctor can become a part of your safety and support plan. And like a lot of things, the way I see it is I would rather have my doctor established, aware, and there if I need them than urgently need a doctor and not one ha not already have one familiar with my health and history and have to scramble for help. And a super important thing as well, also noted in the book, is if you are experiencing severe depression or feeling suicidal, call a doctor immediately. Don't make an appointment that's like two months away if you're having these symptoms. You want to get help as soon as possible and don't be afraid to reach out. There are people who can help you. Step three is lifestyle changes as a starting point. These changes should start before you see your doctor. And if you don't already regularly exercise, start slow. You definitely don't want to overdo it right off. And start light too and work toward an intensity level that you're comfortable with and one you enjoy. Because if you're not enjoying it, you probably are not going to keep doing it. And along with lifestyle changes, that also includes maybe reducing your intake of sugar, alcohol, and or caffeine and see how that works for you. And you can make notes of these changes and how you're feeling with them in your symptom tracker. In the book, they recommend that every woman take between 900 to 1200 milligrams in calcium supplements every day but no more than 500 milligrams at once. And they also recommend 320 to 500 milligrams of magnesium in addition to calcium because it works with the calcium to regulate some body symptoms like nerve conduction and heartbeat. Magnesium also helps keep calcium in the bones where we need it the most. And once you see your doctor, you can mention what you have already been doing on your own to try to alleviate your symptoms. You can let them know about your exercise or how you've changed your diet. 
Step four is about adding non-invasive treatments to your plan, and this is an optional step. And this is, these are things like deep breathing and relaxation techniques like meditation and aromatherapy. And non-invasive treatments can also include herbal remedies, though it would be best to consult a physician before taking anything because of possible drug interactions. And it's best to also discuss the potential side effects as well and any that may conflict with each other. Step five is discussing your symptoms with your doctor. Now you want to be sure to take your symptom tracking or your journal along with you to your appointment and also think ahead and jot down any questions you may have or any concerns you want to discuss with them. If you already have an idea of treatments you want to try, go to your appointment with these in mind as well so that way you can ask about them and get more information. You'll want to let your doctor know what treatments you would be comfortable with and which ones you wouldn't. It's okay to say you don't want to go down the path of a particular treatment, like for example how I mentioned that I would not be comfortable taking SSRIs. That's just my personal preference. And you also want to let your doctor know what you're already doing in an attempt to help your symptoms, and these could be things like the exercise and diet or any supplements you're taking. And if at this appointment a plan of treatment is decided, don't be afraid to ask questions like what should happen if you feel it's not working or if you have some sort of reaction. Some physicians have phone hours for questions or emergencies, and some doctors nowadays are reachable via email or have a team of nurses to help with questions. And, you know, in line with that, it's also best to know how you can reach out without having to wait until that next appointment and how to get the support you need between doctor's visits. Ideally, you will work as a team with your doctor in managing your symptoms and finding the right treatment or combination of treatment that works best for you. And personally, I want to suggest, like I had before, to talk, talk, talk with your doctor. If I hadn't mentioned to my gynecologist about how I'd been feeling in the weeks leading up to my period, I might have gone years without knowing what was going on with me and my hormones. You know, if, even if you think it's something trivial, just mention it anyway. It could be an important factor in guiding your care or your diagnosis. And your doctor's appointment is also the time to mention any pre-existing or pre-diagnosed conditions you have. This will also factor into what plan of treatment might be best for you. Step six is making a decision on whether you want to take medication for PMDD. It's your right as a patient to take or not take medication. And if you make the decision to take medication, you can always change your mind. And likewise, if you decide not to take medication, you can always change your mind as well and decide to take it. Hopefully that all doesn't sound confusing with all those twos. <laughs> um, effectiveness and side effects will always vary from person to person. And your doctor can advise you on the effectiveness and side effects as well as success rates and trials. And if they don't mention it, again, don't be afraid to ask. Your physician can give you every bit of information in the book and make their best recommendation, but ultimately it's up to you and what you feel is best for you and what you're comfortable with. Step seven is to talk with your family or loved ones about premenstrual disorders when you feel ready. For some, this can also be a challenging step, especially if PMDD is a new or potentially new diagnosis or topic. It may feel impossible to talk to others about what's going on when you feel you barely have a grasp on it yourself or have an understanding. And I feel like the step is in the PMDD game plan because it's important to have a support system and people you know you can reach out to if you need help or if you're having a bad day, even if it's just to make you laugh. And there's no right or wrong way to share with people. It depends on you, your comfort level, 
the type of relationship and whether symptoms are making an impact in these relationships. You can have a sit down at a coffee shop in your home. You can present a PowerPoint. You can do a dance. It's entirely up to you how you would want to talk to people. And by sharing, you're giving them an opportunity to, to become supportive of you. And chances are, if they are people you spend a lot of time with, like partners or immediate family, they'll have already noticed that you seem a little different every month, but never made the connection that it's with your cycle. Step eight is reevaluating symptoms and treatment. And this is in reference to critical points in your life, such as pregnancy. And when experiencing a life event like pregnancy or menopause, one would need to take a look at new symptoms or whatever current treatment you are undergoing to see if it's something that you should still stick with or whether it needs to be changed. And again, this would be a great time to check in with your doctor rather than doing it by yourself. And hopefully you're still hanging in there with me. We're almost there. <laughs> We're on step nine now, which is following up on difficult to control symptoms. And this is regularly checking in with your doctor about how you're feeling on a certain treatment. If a plan of treatment has helped with some symptoms, but not all, or maybe it's made one worse, your physician needs to know to help plan a different approach. And under the step in the book, they suggest participating in clinical trials if you have the opportunity to do so. And I learned that there are three phases of a clinical trial, which I'll just kind of briefly talk about so that way... You know, knowledge is power. Sharing is caring. <laughs> in phase one of a clinical tri trial, researchers decide the amount of a treatment or drug, how often and what form it should be given, such as liquid, pill, etc., and whether there are any causes for concern. And if there are no safety concerns, the trial moves on to phase two. And phase two is where research tests whether the treatment actually helps and works for what it was designed to. Occasional results are so positive and successful at this phase that treatment doesn't move on to the final phase and can be approved by the FDA at this point. But if it does move on to the third step or phase, uh, phase three is where the potential new treatment is compared to the current standard of care. While all nine of these steps are really important, I feel like step 10 is a biggie, and that is be kind to yourself. Premenstrual symptoms are not a sign of weakness. They are also not our fault. And allow yourself the space when you need it and the time to take a break and do what you can within your limits to make things easier when possible. For example, I had shared a link on my Twitter feed regarding why successful people like Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg wore the same type of clothing every day. You know, Jobs had his turtleneck and jeans and Zuckerberg had his jeans and hoodie, though I don't know what he's wearing these days. I think he switched to shirts. But the point was they wore the same thing because it allowed them extra time to use for productivity. If you're wearing a turtleneck and jeans every day, you don't need to stand in your closet for 10 minutes every day trying to figure out what to wear. On a PMDD day, the simplest decisions can feel nearly impossible. So take the clothing, for example. If you are aware ahead of time that deciding on what to wear can cause you stress or a breakdown, have outfits ready to go and then don't think twice about it. Have your outfits planned Monday through Friday, all seven days of the week. So that way you wake up, you go, you grab it. You don't have to think about it and won't cause yourself unnecessary stress. Similarly, I saw in a Facebook group this idea about having meal ingredients prepped and ready to go in the fridge or freezer to make it easier when you're feeling low energy or fatigued and also to make it easy for anyone else in the household to throw things together if you're not feeling up to cooking. 
So if you already knew that fatigue is an issue, there are ways to prepare for that. And you'll also want to lose, use, not lose, use that internal locus of control to seek out treatments that work best for you. And while I think all these steps are great, I would make the addition or make it part of an existing step to do your research and see what's out there. Even if you don't have access to the full text of clinical trials, you can at least get the abstract of what's new. Then check the news for successful treatments for women and check what's of interest of you. If you don't want to take medications and prefer to try complementary medicine, do a little homework about PMDD, PMS, and acupuncture or whatever the treatment may be. And whatever your path, keeping some sort of game plan or record should be helpful. It can be as simple or detailed as you like, and it helps that we have now we now have smartphones and endless note-taking apps and features to help with things like that. And that about wraps up the 10 steps of the PMDD game plan. Um, since I did have the opportunity to read the short book entitled We Need to Talk About PMDD, I also kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit in this episode. It's only 59 pages and was published in 2015, and I'm sorry to say that I was a little disappointed by it. It might be an okay read for some, someone to get a glimpse as to what PMDD can feel like for one person, but I feel like it might have been better as a blog or website, which is it looked like it originally was because there were links in the text, you know, and you can't really click a link in a book. And on the very first page, it's written that the book was created by a writer, not a doctor. But this writing definitely seems more for web, and I didn't really get a whole lot out of the content. There are spelling and punctuation mistakes, the formatting and spacing is a little weird. And to be honest, I only truly read the first first four pages and stopped and just scanned over the rest. Now, I am in no way at all discounting or dismissing the author's experience with her PMDD, but more so critiquing the way the information was presented. And it sounds it sounded like it was a big hurdle for the author to overcome and write about it, and I applaud her for that, but I think it could have been a lot better. And this isn't a book I would recommend to someone wanting to learn more about PMDD. Of the books I've read so far, I would definitely stick with the PMDD phenomenon. Now, I've been trying to think of more creative or fun ways to end episodes, and for this episode, I would like to end it with a quote from Maya Angelou. And maybe these are words that someone out there needs to hear right now. So here we go. You may encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated. In fact, it may be necessary to encounter the defeats so you know who you are, what you can rise from, how you can still come out of it. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.